0: Hello and welcome back to Core Ideas, the podcast interested in all things related to lake sediments and paleo limnology. My name is Adam Josiorski, and as always I'm here with my good friend Josh
1: Steenpon. Hello there, Adam. It has been a while. It has. Yeah, considering well, we did say in the introduction we're going to leave time for comments and any feedback, uh, <laughs> ideas for the the episode, um, so we did that, and the of like feedback will all be incorporated. <laughs> That's it exactly, uh, but excited to continue on with this topic. Maybe yes. we should remind our listeners uh, what what that topic is the the new arc, I guess.
0: Yeah. So in today's episode, we continue the money, money, money arc that we introduced last time. And to recap, uh, regular listeners may be aware that since we began the show uh, like three years ago now, both Josh and I have transitioned to new day jobs. Josh is now a tenure-track professor at York University, and I have made the jump from research into a research administration, and these positions have provided, both provided, uh, new perspectives on how academic research is financed, at least in Canada. So we thought sharing what we've learned would be very relevant to the show, even if it's not strictly
1: paleolimnological in nature. Yep, that's right. And we talked about a few different topics we will explore um, in that series arc, uh, and, and maybe some more will come up as we go. But the idea bit be- that being that for most of our listeners, which we again assume are graduate students, uh, when, when most grad students, and this includes us, begin that journey, enter into a new lab, office, whatever it is for the first time, they're uh, going to go into that after applying to grad school, coming out of an undergrad, perhaps taking some time off. And when they do that, they're joining into a, a an environment that's relatively put together, fully equipped uh, in some form uh, it may be a new lab it may be an older lab but it will be established in some some perspective and and they're not going to be putting a lot of effort into that process that'll be maybe doing field work and you know have to go through the receipt process and the reimbursement process which is a pain in the butt to do uh, but r- really how the the money sort of comes in and goes out moves around uh, if basically the, the finance of, of that sort of environment is a little bit abstract or removed and not, not really part of the day to day, uh, thinking of graduate students.
0: Yeah. And it's been quite a while now since yeah. we were grad students ourselves. Um, but we still thought it'd make some sense to begin this arc, like to properly begin the arc, uh, looking at scientific finances from a graduate student perspective.
1: For sure, because we we do think, well, uh, I think about this quite a bit um, for our own grad students. And uh, and it's actually quite interesting to to think about those comparisons. And uh, maybe we'll get into a little bit of that. So the majority of research funds are acquired by the professor
0: of the lab. And we'll definitely be talking about that. I hope anyway. In, in <laughs> detail in another episode, as we have. Or one of us has some first-hand ex- uh, experience with that acquisition of funds, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first exposure to research funding of any kind, really, for the vast majority of people, is as either an undergraduate or a master's student.
1: And yeah, we, we we're good. We we're good. Do we talk? Are we going to talk a little bit about uh, undergraduates in this, uh, or are we going to focus on the graduate students? Because
0: it's mostly focused on the graduate students, but have you not reviewed the notes? We're going to be talking about like uh, summer sweat positions and things like that a little okay, bit. So good. some All stuff right, would be perfect. undergraduate that's relevant, to but the most, mostly grad student.
1: Yeah, I mean, and even if you're coming in and, and that's totally off your radar, knowing that that's an entry point into the system definitely the prob- well, probably the very first potential entry point is good because you may end up working with students of, of that nature. I did read the notes. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, let's
0: continue. Okay. Um, but yes, so, uh, the, the trope of a starving student is a very common one in all kinds of media and pop culture kind of sense. And that is because it is real. Uh, post-secondary education is expensive. And it's getting more expensive all the time, and it is harder and harder, if not impossible. Now, I don't remember the last time it would have been possible to essentially pay it as you go. But it was definitely before my time, before that was really viable.
1: Yeah, and by pay as you go, what are you referring to? Like, what do you, what would that look like? I guess. I guess in almost- my
0: memory, in uh, that phrase, I was thinking of you know an undergraduate student being able to make enough at a summer job to cover the f- upcoming year of expenses and so right. that means the vast majority of students uh, undergraduate students for sure you know that's where you're t- either taking out loans you're drawing down previous savings if you're independently wealthy or you know relying on parental support those so are basically yeah, the some three combination options, of in addition to uh, having some sort of income in the
1: summers and even while you're, uh, taking classes. Quite, quite a bit more common, I think, than it was. It certainly knew many people who had, uh, jobs throughout the school year, the academic year. Uh, I think uh, at least at York, it is absolutely the, the, uh, uh I, I would say majority of students have some sort of employment throughout the year in their undergrads. And that makes sense. Uh, absolutely the ability to, you know, get enough money in those four months to last you through the whole year is is quite a bit more challenging, if not impossible.
0: Yeah. And so just to give some context, um, we can pull up some tuition numbers. So this is completely separate from the massive rise in recent years of the cost of living, but just tuition on its own. Um, so these are Canadian numbers, uh, obviously as always our focus is very much on what we know so the Canadian average for undergraduate tuition is uh six thousand eight hundred and thirty four dollars a year mm-hmm. and the average for graduate tuition is seven thousand four hundred and thirty seven dollars a year so before right. you do anything else before you have a roof over your head or have any anything to eat over that entire year, basically you need seventy five hundred bucks off the stop, off the hop as a uh, graduate
1: student. Averaged over the whole of the country, Uh, which is going to have huge discrepancies. Well, not huge, but definite discrepancies across the different provinces and institutions.
0: Yeah, and then I pulled up um, also um, the numbers specific to Queen's, but within the Faculty of Arts and Science, because this varies both university to university and also um, degree to degree, uh, and the undergraduate number is higher than the national average at seven, $7 thousand four hundred and twenty-two dollars and eighty-one cents for an undergraduate, but then puzzlingly a bit lower than the average for a graduate student at seven thousand one hundred eighty-five dollars and seventy-seven cents.
1: Right, which may be related to including professional pro. Like I don't know if the internet, the Canadian one includes MBAs, whereas obviously in arts and science there's not going to be an MBA. There's there's some arithmetic there that makes it. Yeah, uh, You know, a little bit harder to, to piece together. The point remains, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And it is even
0: more money if you are an international student. So this is uh, keep, um, keeping in mind that domestic students, a portion of the tuition is covered through the tax base and the funding to universities. But at Queen's, an international graduate student, their annual tuition as of 2022, I think these numbers are for uh, yeah. So uh, the most recent numbers is fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand and ninety six dollars and twenty three cents
1: per year. So double, right? Right on top of elevated travel costs because you have to fly. You're not going to just drive down the 401 to get to uh, the place uh maybe uh barriers to having employment while you're there uh, employment outside of sort of the academic environment it may be harder to get a job for example if it's not impossible um yeah so that that's a huge number yeah and a real big uh yeah. real big issue
0: and I, I you know i'm not entirely sure how
1: the decisions are made
0: about what t- tuition is set at some sort of high level at the university in combination with, like, I mean, tuition is set on some level at the, by the provincial government because there are because there's a provincial tuition freeze currently in uh yeah in, in effect, um, but then that the levels that they were frozen at would have been set at some point by some sort of complicated funding formula. We could look into it and maybe in a uh, future episode because if definitely there's. Some interesting wrinkles and, you know, things to, to look into more detail in terms of how universities have funded and the growing reliance on international students, uh, the tuition of yep. international students over recent decades. Um, yeah, I think
1: that actually is an interesting topic to, to pencil in somewhere else. Yeah, because the tuition freeze
0: obviously only affects the tuition being charged to domestic students. The, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... If you're not a citizen of Canada, there is no protection provided in those None.
1: kind of yeah. things. For sure. And and the tuition freeze is in Ontario. So, uh, you know, if you're at UBC or certainly outside of Canada, the are much different uh, rules. But the, the, again, the fact remains, uh, the, the values do change, but I've never heard of them going down. <laughs> they continue to go up. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, the university gets to set what those are, in consultation with these other processes sometimes it's at the faculty level sometimes it might be more broadly distributed at the university i mean ultimately they're approved by senate and the board of directors and those kinds of bodies at the university whatever they're called um and and then you know that that's the price of admission quite literally um and and there's not much you can do about that if you want a a master's degree uh that's what you have to pay
0: yep and you know, it's just using that segue into master's degrees. Uh, graduate school is a little bit different again because um, it is full-time. You do not have summers off to have a, you know, full-time job for four months of the year to generate some of those funds because most of, most of the time you'll have some money coming in uh, through some combination of scholarships, a stipend. And this varies a little bit by discipline, but TA ships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the whole... I guess the funding dynamic is uh, a little bit different as opposed to spend money eight months a year, make money four months a year. It's uh, kind of a more homogenous in some cases yeah. kind of uh, system.
1: Balanced. Yeah. And that tuition is prorated over the whole year as well. Whereas, I mean, obviously it's on an annual basis as an undergraduate, but you really are only there unless you're taking summer courses, but you tend to have to pay on top of to do um, so your tuition would go higher uh, just for those eight months at least in our uh, calendar yeah you're yeah that's that's an interesting point it does I mean there are many many graduate students who have jobs outside of um, outside and we'll talk about that in, in a minute but um, a lot of the funding is sort of tied around your research the research occurring in your lab and or facilitating other aspects of the university curriculum as a ta or a a grader or those kinds of different uh relationships so it is a little bit more kind of nuclear around the university yeah
0: Yeah. so i guess maybe we kind of delve into those three income sources i guess so scholarships stipends and ta ships so scholarships are highly variable um so in some cases we'll, we'll be talking about things like um uh, entrance scholarships that you'll get um, just at the application level well I think this has changed a fair bit with grade inflation like I don't know how this works anymore it used to be like there'd be some sort of cutoff at um, I don't know in the 90s as an applicant and then you'd get some sort of level of um, your tuition covered I wouldn't yep. know I'd never got one of these I was not one of those students but apparently you did I
1: did. Yes. <laughs> Turned on a couple in other places that were even more lucrative, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I had, I had good um, high school grades and uh, yeah, I think my, uh, I wasn't a full ride. I, I had two years, which was, I think it was called the Queens principal scholarship or something like that. And, um, and it was like 8,000 Canadian at the time. So tuition and, and a little bit of, of what went to housing, Uh, costs Um, but that that was i mean that was huge like that would that i wouldn't say it um made my decision to go to queens but but if i hadn't had that and i did have options at other places i I would have taken the 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 scholarship at other places so like not having that at queens would have been um, you know changed my path quite a bit okay um
0: so then you have scholarships um and then I, i get i I had, uh, through graduate school, what's called the Ontario Graduate Scholarship, and where this this was a uh, separate one, so I don't even remember how you actually applied. I uh, mean, it's
1: changed anyway, so it wouldn't that matter. That doesn't matter. But,
0: uh, but anyway, but... so some portion of um, graduate students would receive one of these, but there was no actual direct funds to the student, to me at the time, but it basically replaced the TA-ship. And so... It made up the minimum stipend for me by reducing the num- number of TA ships I would have to take and then allowed me to TA for extra money is the way yeah. that, that it actually worked. So you basically could cho- choose between doing the full allotment of TA ships and having more money in your pocket or um, have more time to work um, and still receive the minimum stipend. And at the time I opted for the money.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, th- that probably always has differed depend and does differ depending on the units, the graduate program's specific requirements. So at York in our grad program, that's not how it works. You have a minimum TA uh, load that is guaranteed depending on other bigger scholarship kind of things. And then OGS, Ontario Graduate Scholarship, basically becomes summer stipend for you. Okay is effectively how it works. So it would replace, and many people get paid sort of off of research grants in the summer. And and again, it totally depends on the unit. Biology just on, in the building across the the way would be totally different how they handle it. And the only other thing, I, I when I was talking about undergraduate entrance scholarships, graduate programs have ent- entrance scholarships as well. So in, in our program, a, a few students a year will be um, granted extra money. And that is truly extra like uh, income in, in that case um and those can be used for a lot of different reasons sometimes they're used to attract the the sort of top candidates who maybe have a couple of different options for graduate school so it is something uh to keep an eye out for in certain programs um and locations just add that forgot that part yeah so it's a complicated uh menagerie of stuff as you kind of start to wade through these, even in one province, in one graduate system kind of thing. You know, the paleolimnologists, assuming no one else is listening to this, but people who are kind of in that science, geography, biology, geology environment, it can be quite complicated. And you really, I think if there's anything, you know, you can stop listening after this is to really learn these details. Like when you're applying for graduate school, have a look, talk to other you know, get information from contact information for someone currently in the program and ask these kind of questions about what the funding package makeup looks like, how you get these things, what happens if you get OGS, do you get that as extra cash or do you just get it clawed back? Can you then pick up t- those kind of questions? Like someone will be able to answer those questions, and and if you have no idea going in, um, you, you know, you could either be doing a lot of extra work for not much gain or or kind of. Um, Um, losing out on on potential extras
0: yeah and i think that's um, a piece of advice that you'll run into again and again is like contact people beforehand um and just get a sense on so many different aspects and you know uh i i didn't do much of that i kind of flew in blind um and you know it's one of those things of hindsight is 2020 like a couple of The world is even more connected now than it was, but I think uh, I'm quite happy with the route that I took. So I don't think much would change, but I think, um, uh, yeah, a couple of key emails while I was applying would have just smoothed out some of the bumps, I think. Um, Yeah, for sure. Just take away any surprises. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right, so we did scholarships, stipends. I guess the first thing we need to do is define what exactly is a stipend, because it's not a commonly
1: used word. It's not. It's a strange word. Uh, What what do we have as the textbook. Let's call it Wikipedia definition of a stipend.
0: It is a regular fixed sum of money paid for services or to defray expenses. It is often distinct from an income or a salary because it does not necessarily represent payment for work performed. Instead, it represents a payment that enables somebody to be exempt partly or wholly from waged or salaried employment in order to undertake a role that is normally unpaid or voluntary
1: right or defrays those those requirements and takes away the need to that so if you as an example you know if we're talking about the graduate student stipend if you just took the number of hours you work and and the only thing you tend to get paid hourly for is taing generally ra ships research assistantship some way um you, you don't make enough to to be above the poverty line like for the number of hours you have so you get this stipend which is a A payment it might be metered out over different numbers of payments to make up that difference and in that case it's not salary it's not income in the same sense often at least in the Canadian taxing system it's not taxed in the same way as income um, when it comes down to tax time Uh, but that it makes a part of the take-home money if it's not even even if it's not salary yeah
0: and so, yeah, so it's, I guess, um, yeah, it's something that wouldn't fall under the kind of legislation that would cover things like minimum wage because no one is going to be yep. covering how many hours of work is just, you will get this monthly statement to keep yourself fed and clothed and sheltered while <laughs> you do this degree to minimize yes. the number of students living out of cars and such and such as yeah, what it would for have sure. set or up living-
1: in the lab yeah (laughs) yeah and they depend huge uh like unit to unit within a school school to school definitely um uh, even what they call it so i don't think we call ours a stipend i'm not even sure what we call it but it is a stipend in that sense yeah um by that definition ultimately it's a, a set amount of money that comes from some source sometimes it's from the faculty sometimes like the individual supervisor sometimes it's from the program sort of at the university level that sort of sets this minimum value that sort of is then added on to by salaried teaching extra work as a research assistant which is usually salaried or some something like it you know you work a number of hours over a time period yeah often through grants. Yeah,
0: and this and then getting back to we'll come back to this uh, another time, but this this money in in large part is going to be generated by the professor through grant applications. And so that was two of the three, and then the third would be TA ships. And both Josh and I come from science backgrounds where TA ships are a common contributor to the minimum stipend. Um, and this is just you know, in science, there's lots of laboratory courses, lots of laboratory courses with lots of um, individual like repeated sessions, sections of the laboratory courses means you need a fair number of TAs. And that's just the way it is. If you're doing like a particular chemistry lab or a particular limnology lab, your your actual lecture class is going to be broken up into four or five, six and big universities, many more than that. Sections And they're all going to run through the labs and all of those sections are going to need a TA to kind of demo things. And so because of that, uh, in science, uh, there always seems to be a shortage. There are usually more uh, TA, sh- or at least when I was a graduate student, more TAships available than grad students to do them. So you could always have the option to pick up some of the least desirable courses if you really wanted to to top up yep. your, uh, top up your stipend basically.
1: Yeah. And I think that probably depends again, depending on, uh, location, big grad programs that uh, maybe have, uh, that dominate, uh, a, a unit, a, like a faculty or department, whatever it is. Um, that doesn't have a lot of undergraduate courses may so, not then, be the case yeah. uh, so like in an example our masters of environmental studies students this is a course-based master so quite a bit different are not guaranteed ta ships some of them will pick them up where they have background that overlaps with courses but there's a lot of mes students in the program uh, and many of the undergraduate courses and programs are fairly small uh, in terms of number of students are so very hands-on with the faculty. So you end up with um, less need for TAs, but in science, I think that's that's a pretty accurate statement. I
0: at, at started
1: my undergraduate at Waterloo,
0: and at that time, I was able in my fourth year to pick up a TA ship. I uh, sorry, an undergraduate, and I did it in my fourth year. I TA'd a second year course
1: yep. twice, I think. Yeah, at, at Queens in biology, it didn't occur, but in other units you know, in geology, the fourth years regularly TA'd. Yeah, so
0: highly, highly variable. And ta ships generally uh, tend to be um, a little weird in that the sense that they officially have a very high pay rate in terms of dollars per hour. Um, I can't think of exactly what it is now, but it you know is on paper is always much better than a minimum wage job. But usually there is a low number of hours, and especially the first couple times you do this, you may not be aware that there's a bit of a time trap as in there's a set number of hours associated with each TA ship you're assigned and if you're not careful you can definitely put in considerably more time in terms of the preparation the marking the interactions with students depending on how available make yourself Um email
1: (laughs) (laughs) your email is where the problem will be (laughs) <laughs> but I, was this, was yeah. that a thing really
0: uh, when you were a grad student so now we're going back to 2000 not, so not even though email all, was then. very prevalent but when I was a grad student the students would always come and talk to at the office hours like emailing your TA and I, don't, I can't think I, I ever emailed my TA even once throughout my Probably undergraduate not, no. like it just wasn't a thing but I guess it's just uh, a cultural change and especially a uh, um, post-pandemic yeah. uh, cultural yeah. change
1: yeah. So our grad students get 135 hours per course, uh, is the number. Um, and we do workload agreements, you know, that lay out what that should look like. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty, I don't ask to see it, but I do recommend that they track, you know, kind of like if you were to go into consulting, you know, do, you know, track 15 minute blocks, um, of their time, because it's a, if, if for no other reason than to realize how much time you can put into something, um, preparation uh making a a slide deck that you're going to to use uh yourself um or or things like answering emails and grading is obviously the biggest one uh it it is pretty sobering to see how quickly 135 hours of your of your life can evaporate and you have you know you haven't even started marking the final paper and you basically then you're cutting into your own profits you don't get paid any extra i mean there is the potential for the provision of overtime but very rarely is that a, a agreed a, approved so. yeah i definitely especially in the
0: early days um just ended up running over i remember setting out like whole sunday afternoons Most but, I, and, but then at the same time i wouldn't be hyper focused i'd be like i am going to get get this stack of whatever's marked um and I'm just set up at a kitchen table and the TV is on and there's a football game or a soccer game going on in the background. And it'd be just a leisurely kind of rate, as opposed to get this done in the minimum amount of time. So it it really
1: depends on how you approach it. For sure. So that's it. That's kind of, uh, what generally makes up the pay packet, uh, of, of, a graduate student in in different proportions, external scholarships, um, internal scholarships and stipends, uh, teaching assistantships, and then the potential for research assistantship sort of work paid by the faculty and, and every unit will have a different balance of what that looks like. And and then, so you, basically the idea is you have that value, the total amount and the tuition and the difference between them is what you have to live on uh, for a whole year, yeah. two whole years. If you're doing a master's four <laughs> plus years for a PhD. Um, and, and that, you know, that doesn't leave a lot. If you to do the minimum stipend value, at a university, whatever that is, even a you know a relatively well-funded one, I think York's uh, our graduate one is twenty-four thousand, something like that for uh, domestic students, and it is higher for international students because of that huge difference. So twenty-four thousand, subtract 7,500 7, 7, away from that, you know, that's that's um, not much. <laughs> And, and this has changed
0: drastically from about, you know, I began my graduate student path about 20 years ago now. Um, and I racked up, you know, I was able to get through undergraduate through student loans. But through graduate school, um, I was largely in a treading water kind of position. I lived lean, um, but, uh, you know, the loans were on whatever – OSAP calls their interest free status. They were just kind of doing yeah. their thing. Uh, and then I continue to just tread water rather than grow debt, have a growing debt. And that um, on 20, 24,000, 25,000 um, is just not possible anymore.
1: No. Because the stipends no, have not changed. Not. No, exactly. The tuition keeps going up a little bit. Um, probably pretty close to sort of the inflation level Um, stipends haven't changed at all we can talk about this in a second Um, uh, and the cost of living everything else has gone up like you know significantly in that time period the and even in Kingston you know where, where I think it's relatively inexpensive compared to some other locations like to rent, out, at least as an undergrad, like it seems like rent and stuff like that was a relatively small proportion of it compared to the, you know, that's not the case there. It's not the case anywhere anymore. There are no cheap markets in the world. There are some exceptionally expensive markets, but nowhere is cheap, really. Um, You know, that 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 changes your sort of whole calculus on how you go through your graduate program. Do you want to finish as quickly as you possibly can? At just barely well not even treading water but probably accruing some sort of debt you want to stretch it out and have to work through that time period not be able to put as many there's only so many hours in a week and not be able to put so much towards your degree but be able to eat you know um that's something that that i never thought about
0: no i um uh yeah looking back to some both my master's and my PhD, I ran over by a couple of months, and it was not the you know after four after two years running over by a month and a half. I think I like was fully done. Yeah, like six weeks after I was officially hit, hit the two two month mark, and then I think it was probably something similar, like two or three months by the time I defended. And so the whole process of like I remember John coming into the office go, "You need to get rolling on." writing and uh you know yes you've got a paper two out and sorting out a um an external and things like that uh, an external examiner Mm -hmm. for your phd defense um and so it's like ah you know and then you do the realize oh i'm not going to be able to do this by the end of the summer or whatever it is because schedules realize like ah it's going to go over by a couple months and it's not the end of the world it wasn't the end of the world that at the time that in a way that it'd probably be a lot more pressing now
1: yeah um yeah for sure it was possible to absorb that for some people not everyone obviously yeah
0: and that but there was even then the balance of finishing quickly versus picking up extra ta ships to fund running over and i definitely did that where i'm like oh stick around for another semester and then i will Pick up a couple of the less desirable TA ships that probably have a greater time commitment uh, than some of the other ones, and then you go. Oh, and then when when all is said and done, you're going, you know what? I probably could have been done in just a couple of extra hardcore weeks rather than sticking around for a couple of months. But this TA ships or this full load of TA ships was just such a time suck at the end that. It dragged it all, and it probably wasn't worth it in the end. And it probably is definitely not worth it now. It, yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, one TA ship is not worth the tuition. Basically, it's a, you know the calculus is fairly straightforward there. Um Finish and and go on and try and find employment, especially in what is. I mean, it's not easy to get a job, but it is a bit of a, a buyer's market um for jobs.
0: I guess yeah. that would be the flip side of it all. That the the job market to, you know, if you wanted a silver lining or whatever the kind of view of it all is it's much more expensive to be a student today, but the job market I think is better now than it was. in let's say someone finishing their PhD in 2008 ish.
1: Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's, that's played out in the statistics. Um, yeah, it, it is something you all have to, you, you definitely have to think about um, and something we think about too is like Programs, faculty, um recruiting grad students for both of those reasons, because it's actually fairly straightforward to, you know, not straightforward, but th- there are jobs out there and there weren't in 2008. Um, but also because it, it's so expensive to live in Toronto um, and there are other markets where that's exactly the same. Yeah.
0: No, I definitely, in my new role, have definitely been on a fair number of. Meetings I would never have realized this as a student or in my research career, but just swear see a cross-section of the of the university, department to department to department, and then see how different the situation can be in terms of the differing job markets for students in that particular field. And so there's definitely some fields out there where recruiting grad students is absolutely brutal because the job market is so hot and it's like i can either go into debt and starve as a student and get the same stipend as everybody else or definitely walk into a job today and make six figures
1: yeah absolutely. and that is the, the choice and, and in were. some of those careers that's not you know like in engineering master's degree doesn't you know it's not all that commonly certainly phds like very rare um don't really get you any better Not outcome in that job market cuz you're doing it
0: cuz you out of interest as opposed to a um
1: yeah
0: oh that's weird the accreditation is like a step a career yeah. step
1: yeah exactly you want to be a professor um yeah and and this is something that you know what is the solution to this well hi, giving more money uh would would certainly help if if our you know stipends were higher um particularly at some of the like competitive award phases in Canada. This is something that I don't remember when those protests that were going on. Uh, it was a a couple of months now, um, where there was light being brought to the fact that the tri-council awards. So those are the NSERC, uh, CIHR, uh, and SHRC um, tri-council funding agencies, The main bodies that fund research in engineering and natural sciences, health, and in the social sciences and humanities, that the values for the major scholarships, the graduate level scholarships, postdoctoral fellowships, hadn't changed in 20 some odd years. um, Given all the inflation that's occurred between those time periods, is insane.
0: Yeah. And I think we pulled up a CPI, so Canadian Price Index inflation calculator and just, you know, um, so I don't know why, why do we have 13000 in here? Um, but $13,000 in 2009, so 14 years ago, so something that costs 13000 so let's say it's graduate student uh, international tuition of something around $13,000. Um, sure. Or an award worth $13,000. Uh, so to be at parity, it would need to be Eighteen thousand four hundred dollars today,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in a lot of these awards, right. that is not the case. There's still thirteen thousand dollars. No, like
1: a, a twenty-one thousand for the Encirc graduate, the PGS level, uh, postgraduate scholarship levels. That's the same as it was. It hasn't gone up by any number. No, right. so it's effectively gone down by a lot, no. right? In in the the math of it, um and th- these are supposed to be. You know, they're, they're they're limited in number. You have to apply to these awards, um, and they're very competitive. Uh, what what is the, the you know what are we trying to attract in terms of the the uh, excellence of our graduate students? What is the the quality of the the next level of of, of research? Um, it certainly doesn't show a a great interest in investing in um, the future of uh, science and and all the other disciplines of, of research in this country including things that are really important like health research and all those things and not th- it's not that the um, private sector is going to drive all of those things and most of those people have phds they had to go to grad school anyway so w- what do you do that's a good place to start for sure
0: yeah that'd be a good place to s- Start, but i don't know if those protests you know i don't think uh that start is happening yet no like um and i see things like uh the budgets are not changing in some of the big um tri-agency awards and the the Option to increase the value of individual grants. This isn't really affecting graduate students as much as uh, affecting professors, but it's like more reduce the success rate rather than reduce increase yeah. the pot. Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah. And, and and it'll be the same kind. Of, it would end up being the same sort of math, probably. So it really does require a significant investment of new funds into research in all aspects. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Got to keep pushing.
0: Yeah. And I guess one other thing that kind of factors into all of this is that I guess not learning to live lean, but being okay with living lean. Uh, I don't know if it's a skill, but it would be something you grow accustomed to. And this makes a bit of a, it becomes quite difficult in some cases to take a a decent paying job and then go back to grad school. It's once you um, have gone a couple steps up, it's,
1: difficult to go back to craft dinners on a regular basis i would imagine so i never you did that i mean maybe you didn't go into like six figure salaries i did not wearing <laughs> th- wearing three-piece suits every day but i never took off a, i took off like one month <laughs> i think you went past
0: no I, <laughs> uh, I took short yeah. breaks in between both um both my undergraduate degree and then um again after my master's degree before starting my phd and had jobs at both and definitely uh um enjoyed the fact like, after i finished my master's i went on like a backpacking trip to south america and so i've got money i can spend money and do some of these things that i've always wanted to do i can take a real holiday um and uh yeah then a year later going i'm even poorer than i was as an undergraduate student this sucks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it yeah. can be a tough pill to swallow. And it's not that I'm saying don't do it, but it's just something to keep in mind before you get too used to the feel of silk sheets, I guess. All right, I'm just going to kind of wrap the final segment up here, thinking that an important aspect of this at every level is that no one really teaches you any of this directly. Um, and in addition to like the key funding that you'll get through the program that you're enrolled in or the university that you go to um as a student there are often many other pots of money that are available to you in a variety of sources that you if you go digging for them so very specific scholarships for example
1: yeah i we know a few people won't name any names who were really good at doing this sort of thing finding small often under uh utilized under applied to uh, foundations and awards broadly uh that that made up uh, and often those can just get added on and on and on they don't come out of your you know they're not clawed back from your your minimum stipend and and did pretty well with doing that Uh, one thing i would say if if that's something you're interested in doing really can be quite lucrative but you have to weigh how much time it takes to apply to 50 little awards versus the the time it's taking away from your actual research so if your evenings if the thing you love to do is write little scholarship applications great stuff you, you might do really well with that um but but make sure you keep it into the perspective of the big picture yeah
0: but depending on the uh value of them like i mean if it's a couple hours to fill out an application through like, your parents workplace if their union offers for sure there's probably not a huge level of competition because again you're dealing with a you know, there'll be some set number of awards and
1: it's easy to be lazy. The, on the application things. window opens on July 1st and the first 3,700 who come, yeah, yeah, know, probably, come in, get it. Yeah. yeah. And uh,
0: so in some cases, uh, these can be a very high reward to effort ratio in terms of, yeah, you spend a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon putting your application together in and that could be, you know, equivalent to a full TA ship in some cases that you do over four months. So it really depends, but I think it's a case of looking for them both within, um, your field and, uh, various workplace things. Um, you know, and there's certain elements like, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned if, um, your family member is a member of a union in some cases, they will have dedicated mm-hmm. post-secondary, uh, uh, scholarships available for the children of union members. um, There are some – I'm pretty sure like there are elements within some workplaces. Like if you're – Tim Hortons, I think, has some level of uh, internal scholarships that you could apply. So if you did that in your run-up as a student, uh, you know, as a high school student, and then there might be some doors that are available to you specifically based on where you worked during the summers in the run-up kind of thing. Um, And then there's also individual applications and foundations tied to your field of study. So within – paleo and environmental studies we've known students that have both gotten scholarships through the weston foundation and for, when the, um related to northern research and also through uh l'oreal was that northern as well mm-hmm. or is that
1: uh no i it, I think those are broader i think it's women mm-hmm. in Permanent science, science. Uh, is sort of the 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 uh, catch there um but yeah they tend to be not for profits or corporations um, and, and those can be quite lucrative because they, they often are coming direct. They're not clawed back because they're not considered in the same way. And they can be quite big money. Um, I had a Weston uh, postdoc fellowship, uh, which was great. How did you find out about it? Was it put in, on your desk uh, by somebody in particular? It was well known. Okay. Yeah, by that time period. Okay. The Weston one is, has become so big that it's it's like applying to and the NSERC program uh, for people in that that area. Others are, are less well known, but that one's got gotten quite uh, okay. well known. We you know everyone knows somebody who has gotten one um, at that point.
0: Um, and then there are also uh, society specific scholarships that you could apply to. Uh, in many cases, um, there'll be travel funds associated with um, conferences. For example, SCAS has
1: the. Yep. Clemens Regular Travel Fund and the Early Career Award. Yep. Yep. SIL uh, has, uh, the Society of International Limnology has uh, those. They are uh, primarily earmarked for people from developing countries, uh, but there are a range of different programs as well. And, and so, yeah, the, they can can be really big. So, the SIL the ones will, will you know, basically fund travel to the meeting for a small number. Uh, of individuals uh, but that you may never otherwise be able to uh to attend. Yeah.
0: And then and then the last thing, and then this isn't really relevant to your studies per se, in what I'm thinking of, but in some cases there are specific pots of money for student initiatives um at the school. And so this would be really money in your pocket per se. But there um the m- example I'm thinking of here is years and years ago due to the fact that all the vending machines at Queens uh, <laughs> right. were limited to right Coke products. Um, there was actually a Coke fund for student initiatives, and we had people within our lab group apply to that to offset the costs of putting together a student conference. And so it's slightly slightly different, but it just you know there are very specific pots of money out there that take some digging to unearth, but might be highly relevant to you.
1: Definitely look for them they they often are not well advertised and uh i think we i think we saw that in the the newspaper like there was a, a, a ad in the newspaper which i guess is well advertised but no one read any of those things yeah. and uh lo and behold i think they they paid a fair bit towards that conference
0: i think so i think it's one yeah. of those things where it's
1: coca-cola yeah it's like a lot of
0: have like registration of 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that even though there were multiple meals and whatnot associated with it so yeah so it went a long
1: way you can get it you can get some things done yeah
0: (laughs) once again thanks for listening to core ideas the Paleolimnology podcast if you have a question or a comment or
1: perhaps a suggestion for a future show please send us a note Our email address is coreideaspodcast at gmail.com. And our Twitter X, what do we call it? I don't know. I've stopped using it. Handle is at coreideaspaleo. We'll probably be even worse at replying to that than we were before. However, something new, folks. Our Mastodon handle is at coreideaspaleo, so the same beginning, at mastodon.social. So find us there. Uh, I don't know if you follow. I'm not sure how this it works. works exact- whatever, but you'll see our toots there and it'll be great. <laughs> it works
0: exactly the same in terms of at least the level that we use it in terms of advertising uh, the release of individual shows and some direct messages. <laughs> and an archive of our past episodes and show notes is maintained on our website. Um, the address, the easiest way to find the address, it's... Uh, Core ca, but we have direct links to it on both our Mastodon page and
1: our Twitter page. And if you're so inclined, you can give us a rating, subscribe, leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Those five star ratings and reviews are great, but to be honest, we don't really care all that much. We're just still just doing this for fun.
0: And that's it for today. But we'll be back soon to explore how money fuels academic research in more detail sticking to our ethos of pure knowledge without the economy, even when talking about the economy of knowledge.